Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Find hidden clues and uncover a murder mystery. Solve mind-teasing mysteries of the Roaring Twenties. Engage your sense of observation to find hidden clues. Search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris and uncover a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve. We're all here because we love true crime, right? Well, this game has the perfect twists and turns to keep your brain asking, what happened here? There's nothing I love more than getting to decorate my very own luxurious state island. The best part? You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of Jillia Davis, a 20-year-old woman from Marietta, Ohio. On November 19, 2011, Jillia's body was found on the interstate in West Virginia. When Jillia's body was found, her body had sustained horrific injuries. Investigators believed that Jillia had been hit by a car and ultimately ruled her death an accident. But the evidence found at the scene painted a different picture. Jalea's family believes that someone murdered Jalea, and her death was no accident. What really happened to Jalea Davis? This is Jalea's story. Last week, I appeared on Al Jazeera's The Stream with host Femi OK. I had the pleasure of joining her and two other incredible Black women to discuss the lack of attention missing and murdered Black women get in America. And one of the things that we talked about was creating our own community and not relying on the mainstream media to amplify and tell our stories. Now, this is something that I feel really passionately about because honestly, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of begging people to see us, to acknowledge us. I've said this before, but the mainstream media knows the issues that exist in the coverage of Black women, and they're still not doing anything about it. Resources like OurBlackGirls.com and podcasts like mine and many others are giving these stories the attention that the mainstream media isn't. They are the voices that need to be elevated because we don't have to beg them to cover these stories. They, we, already are. I often cover stories that I think to myself, you know, what if this case had gotten as much attention as Lacey Peterson or Natalie Holloway? I wonder what would have happened if their stories went viral on social media. The best thing about living in this time is that we don't have to wait for anyone. We can build our own community, our own resources, and we can partner with allies that care, and we can change the narrative ourselves. Believe me, when the mainstream media sees what's happening without them, they'll find a way to get involved. Jalea's story is one of those stories that I wonder, had it gotten national attention at the time of her death, Would it have resulted in a different investigation or a changed result? I mean, by the time most people had even heard of Julia's story, the investigation was well over. 
The details of what happened to Julia Davis are shocking. There is really no other word to describe her death and the investigation that followed. It's been 10 years, and Julia's family has never accepted the investigation findings that her death was the result of a horrible accident. The past 10 years have been an ongoing nightmare for Julia's family. They have had to deal with a lot on top of Julia's death. Her family believes that race may have played a factor in the investigation and the lack of answers they have received. I mean, every single story that I cover is difficult to tell, and Julia's is no exception. Julia Davis was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado, on November 2nd, 1991. Julia and her sister Talby, who was 18 months younger than Julia, were raised by their mother Kim in a family that was very close. Growing up, her family described Julia as a shy, soft-spoken little girl, and everyone loved Julia. Her mom Kim said that Julia was just a sweetheart. Although Julia had been born in Colorado Springs, at some point her family moved to Marietta, Ohio which is a small town near the Appalachian Mountains. Marietta has a population of about 13,000 people, so it's the kind of town where everybody pretty much knows everybody. By all accounts, Jalea grew up a very happy child, and as Jalea grew into a teenager, she began to shed her shyness and became very popular with a lot of friends. Jalea, however, remained the sweet girl who everybody loved. After high school, Julia began working while she decided what she wanted to do next with her life. In 2019, Julia's story was featured on Investigation Discoveries, Still a Mystery. Her sister Talby said that Julia had wanted to be a cosmetologist. So in 2011, Julia had been working at the clothing store Hollister and was enjoying life as a popular, carefree young woman getting ready for the next chapter of her life. In the summer of 2011, according to Julia's family, she had met a young lady named Kristen, who she had developed a friendship with, and the two had begun hanging out. According to Kristen, in interviews with police, she said that she had met Julia through mutual friends. Kristen at some point said that she had also been friends with Talby. Now, on Friday, November 18th, 2011, Julia and Kristen made plans to hang out, Someone Kristen knew invited them to a house party, and so the plan was for Julia to meet at Kristen's house so they could get ready for the party together. According to Julia's family, she left her home around 5 p.m. to go over to Kristen's. Now, Kristen said that Julia arrived at her house at 7. Now, it's not clear if Julia went somewhere before going to Kristen's or if the timelines are just, you know, kind of off. But after arriving at Kristen's house, Kristen said the two baked some cookies and then showered, got dressed, did their makeup, and then headed over to the party. Now, the party was in Parksburg, West Virginia, at a guy named Brian's house. Now, the town of Parksburg is about 20 minutes from Marietta, where Julia lived. According to Kristen, she and Julia arrived at the party around maybe 9.30, 10 o'clock. From what Kristen said to investigators, it seems as if there were mostly guys at this party, if not all guys at this party. At some point, Jalea, Kristen, and two of the guys at the party, Freddie and Jordan, decided to leave the party to go to a store to buy more liquor, and then they were going to go pick up Kristen's friend Katie from a local Hardee's. They had all rode with Freddie, and after making their purchase and picking up Katie, they all went back to Brian's house to finish the party. Now, at some point, Jalea, Kristen, Katie, and Freddie decided that they wanted to leave the party and go to a local bar called the Nippin' Q, which is located also in Parksburg. 
Najalia left her car at Brian's house and they all rode with Freddie to the bar. Kristen said that they arrived at the bar around 12.30 a.m. That night, Jalea had been texting back and forth with her mom and sister. Her mom, Kim, said that she last texted Jalea around 9 p.m. She said that she told Jalea, you know, be good and don't make me worry. Jalea and her friends stayed at the bar for a couple hours. And according to Kristen's statement, they ended up leaving around 3.10 in the morning to head back to Brian's house. Kristen was in the front passenger seat and Katie and Jalea were in the back. But a night of fun with friends quickly took a turn when Jalea and Kristen got into what was really described as an argument. According to Kristen, when they arrived back to Brian's house, none of them went inside. In fact, Brian wasn't home. He was with friends at another local bar that stayed open till like 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, the four of them, according to Kristen, sat in the car for a little while while they decided what they were going to do next, you know, whether they were going to go out or whether they were just going to go home and call it a night. Jalea, according to Kristen, had lost her wristlet and her keys somewhere in the car and was beginning to get frustrated when she couldn't find them. Now, Kristen said that Jalea started accusing her of taking her things, and Kristen said that she told her that she had tried to take you know, her wristlet earlier in the night because she was afraid that she was going to lose it. Now, eventually, they ended up finding Jalea's wristlet and her keys. And they, at that point, had decided that they were just going to go home and end the night. But Jalea, according to Kristen, chose not to go with them. At 3.28 a.m. on November 19th, Talby, Jalea's sister, got a call from Jalea. Jalea was upset, and she asked Talby to come pick her up from a gas station located in Parksburg. The gas station was about a mile from the bar where they had been earlier. Natalby said that during that call, she could hear Kristen's voice in the background. And during the conversation, Jalea is heard telling Kristen to give her her keys back. Four minutes later, Jalea calls, calls Talby again and changes the location. Instead of meeting her in Parksburg at the gas station, she asked Talby to meet her at a rest stop near the Williamstown exit. Williamstown, Virginia, is across the river from Marietta, Ohio, so the rest stop was a closer location for Talby to meet her at. According to Talby, when she got the second call from Jalea, Jalea was now crying, you know, like hysterical. Talby said that Jalea was cursing, calling Kristen names, saying that she was a bad friend. Now, she didn't tell Talby exactly what happened, and when Talby asked her what happened, Jalea told her that she would tell her when she got there. Now, Talby was at a friend's house, and so her and her friend left to go and meet Jalea. Talby had no idea what happened between Jalea and her friend, but she knew that her sister was upset, and she was going to go help her. It didn't matter what time it was. Talby was going to go help her sister. Jalea, however, never made it to the rest stop in Williamstown. At 3.48 a.m., approximately 15 minutes after Talby received that second call from Jalea, a call came into 911. The caller tells the 911 operator that they think that they saw a body laying on the interstate near mile marker 181. He says that he was driving by and he's pretty sure that he saw a body, but it was dark and so he's not entirely sure. At this point, he had already pulled over and was walking towards the area where he saw or what he thought he saw was a body when he placed this 911 call. Now, as the caller gets closer, he can tell that it is, in fact, a body on the highway. 
Now, even in the transcripts, you can tell that what the caller saw on the highway was beyond horrific. After the caller confirms for the 911 operator that what he saw on the interstate was in fact a body, the operator asked if he wanted to check and see if the person was breathing. The caller responded and said, sir, there are parts of him. I can't. The caller, of course, had no way of knowing that the body on the interstate was not a man, but a 20-year-old young woman. Within minutes of the 911 call, deputies arrived on the scene and blocked off the interstate. Talby and her friend had been driving to meet Julia, and so they too were on the interstate. Talby's told still a mystery that it was pitch black as they were driving, and that as they rounded a curve, they encountered the emergency lights lighting up the interstate. Talby and her friend approached the officers blocking the interstate and asked them what had happened, and they were told that a woman's body had been found dead on the interstate. Talby said that all they knew at that point was that there was a black female dead and that she was wearing a white jacket. Talby's heart sank because she knew that that was Jalita. Talby immediately called her mom, Kim, and at that point, Talby didn't have much information, but her gut told her that her sister was dead. Kim said that when Tabby called her, she was asleep, and when she answered the phone, Tabby was hysterical. She told her mom that Jalea was dead. So Kim and her father immediately get in their cars and go to meet Tabby on the interstate. When investigators arrived at the scene, they found Jalea's car a quarter mile from her body resting up against the guardrail on the left side of the highway. All of Jalea's personal belongings were found inside her car, including her phone all but confirming the identity of the body as Jillian Davis. When Kim and her family speak to the investigators at the scene, they confirm that it was, in fact, Jalea. Her family had no idea what exactly had happened to Jalea. I mean, they figured more likely than not it was a car accident that had taken Jalea's life. But as Jalea's family began to learn the gruesome details of what happened, the idea that her death was simply an accident is something that they would never, ever accept. When my cat's healthy, she's happy. And that's what makes me happy. But since I'm not a mind reader, I don't always know when she's healthy. Helping me know that my cat's healthy is just one of the reasons I use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell. I absolutely love Pretty Litter, and I will never, ever go back to conventional litter. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means it's less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help detect early signs of potential illnesses in my cat, including urinary tract infections. The health detector is so helpful and it really gives me peace of mind that my cat is healthy. And Pretty Litter ships free to my door in a small, lightweight bag. I never have to run out, and I don't have to have a huge container of litter taking up space and stinking up my space. Pretty Litter helps keep my cat healthy and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com and use code GIRLGONE for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, code GIRLGONE, for 20% off. prettylitter.com, code GIRLGONE. Let's be real. 
I think we can all probably up our fruit and veggie game. Now, I'm going to be honest, I don't get anywhere near the amount of fruits and veggies that I'm supposed to. But this year, things are changing because I've been keeping my freezer stock with Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest is the easiest way to get more fruits and veggies into my day every day. They have my back with delicious foods that are good for me and good for the planet. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, flatbreads, smoothies, and more, all built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door, and it conveniently stays fresh in your freezer. My favorites are the broccoli and cheese harvest bowl and the tomato and zucchini minestrone soup. Daily Harvest takes literally minutes to prepare and never uses preservatives, added sugar, or artificial anything. And that goes for everything. They have so many delicious options for every time of the day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, or a snack. Daily Harvest has you covered. I am absolutely addicted to the smoothies. I really can't go a day without them. Daily Harvest is all about preserving and protecting the earth for current and future generations to come. From the recyclable and compostable packaging to investing in organic farming practices and reducing food waste, you can feel good about the choices you're making physically and for the environment. Daily Harvest makes it easy to feel good about what I'm doing for myself and the planet. Go to dailyharvest.com slash girlgone to get $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash girlgone for up to $40 off your first box. Daily Harvest dot com slash girl gone. On November 18th, 2011, 20-year-old Jalea Davis left her home in Marriott, Ohio to hang out with a friend. But less than 12 hours later, Jalea's mutilated body was found on the interstate in West Virginia. When Jalea's family arrived at the scene, they would learn the unbearable details of how their beloved Jalea was found. The details of which are extremely disturbing. When Jalea's body was found, Jalea was naked from the waist up. Her leg was broken in half, and Jalea had been decapitated. Jalea had sustained devastating injuries, and she was unrecognizable. At first, it appeared that this was a freak accident. But a closer look at the evidence raised doubts, even among investigators initially. The car Jalea was driving was found a quarter mile up the road from where her body was found. The keys were in the car, and the car was running, in gear, the lights were on, and the doors of the car were locked. Now, the car had sustained damage to the passenger side, presumably at the time from the guardrail. The light on that side was broken as well. Now, the car had sustained some damage, but the damage on the car did not match the condition of Jalea's body. As investigators began to look at the scene, they had no idea how or why Jalea would have gotten out of her car. Like I said, the damage from the car was not consistent with the condition of the body. Now, it was clear that some kind of accident took place, but there was no evidence that another vehicle had been involved. So it wasn't clear why Jalea's car was still running and on the side of the road. Had she gotten out after an accident and had been hit by a car? Well, at the time, that could have been a possibility. The mystery about the car and how Jalea ended up outside of the vehicle was only one of the many mysteries about what happened to Jalea that night. Beside the vehicle, you know, the other big question was how did Jalea end up naked from the waist up? 
When investigators arrived at the scene, they found Jalea's bra, shirt, and jacket hung up rather neatly on one of the posts on the guardrail. The jacket was hung on top of the shirt and the bra, and the white jacket was covered in blood. The shoes that she was wearing were not on her feet either. So the clothing that was found was nowhere near Jalea's body. And investigators at the scene had no idea how her clothing ended up there or whether or not someone had placed it there. But the driver who placed the call to 911 said that when he arrived at the scene, that the clothes were there. Investigators had many questions, but in the beginning, they agreed that the circumstances of this incident were suspicious. And so they began to conduct an investigation to see exactly what happened to Jalea. Once news about Jalea's death spread in the small town of Marietta, the rumors almost immediately began also. The horrid details of her death shocked everyone, but investigators needed to find out what happened to Jalea. While crime scene investigators collected evidence from the scene, local police began to reach out to the people that Jalea was with that night. They needed to piece together the timeline to see if they could find out exactly what led to Jalea being dead on the highway. And one of the first people police speak to is someone who was close friends with Jalea, but was not present the night the incident took place. But they had been told by several people a very disturbing tale about what they thought had happened or heard had happened that night. Now, on November 20th, 2011, the day after Jalea's death, police interviewed Jalea's friend. Now, everything this person told police had been relayed to them by someone else. But at that point in the investigation, the investigators had nothing else, and so they needed to start somewhere. The friend told detectives that Kristen and Jalea had gotten into an argument when Jalea lost Kristen's keys, which is the opposite story that Kristen would later tell police. Next, the friend told police that they had heard that after the foursome left the bar, that they were all in Jalea's car heading up the interstate when a fight allegedly broke out between Jalea and Katie. Next, they heard that the car pulled over on the interstate and Freddie drugged Jalea from the car and that Katie and Kristen were beating Jalea up, hitting her head up against the guardrail. They then heard that one of the three got into Jalea's car and ran her over. Now, like I said, the person who gave police this information admitted that they were hearing from a third party. But whoever had told them this story said that they had gotten this information from Freddie. This information was shocking and, if true, meant that investigators were looking at a murder and not an accident. But this account was not enough, and at that point was really just a rumor to investigators. But this wasn't going to be an open and shut investigation. Not by far. Next, investigators knew that they needed to speak to those who had actually been with Julia that night. Starting with her friend Kristen. Now, she was Julia's friend, but she was also her connection to Freddie and Katie. But when investigators went to speak to Kristen, she initially refused to talk to them. When they went to her home, they were told by her dad that she did not feel like speaking to the investigators, and then her dad gave them information for Kristen's lawyer for them to contact. A few days later, on November 22nd, 2011, Kristen's lawyer made arrangements for her to speak to investigators. But once Jalea's family learned that Kristen had lawyered up within hours of their daughter and sister's death, they thought that that was very odd. 
The family believed that if Kristen was really Julia's friend, then she would want to talk to investigators so they could find out what happened to her friend. So by the time Kristen went to speak with investigators, Julia's family was convinced that the people with her that night had something to do with her death. When Kristen sat down with investigators, she told them about the party and going to the bar after. Kristen said that they had all been drinking and that Julia was drunk, but she wasn't like falling down drunk or slurring her words drunk. Kristen said that for the most part, Julia was okay. She told investigators that her friend Katie's ex-boyfriend was there at the bar and that Julia was dancing on him and they were talking pretty close. And she said that Katie was frustrated by this, but that Katie is a non-confrontational kind of person. And so she she wouldn't say anything to Julia because she didn't want to argue. She explained how they left the bar and went back to Brian's house and that after contemplating going somewhere else, that they decided to go home. Kristen told them about Julie being upset about the keys, but says that it was not an argument and that she was not upset or mad at Julia. Kristen said that they thought that Julia was going with them, but ended up calling her sister for a ride. And then she said that Julia knew that she had too much to drink, and so that's why she called her sister to come and pick her up. Kristen said that Julia went and sat in her car to wait for her sister to pick her up. Now, Kristen said that they made Julia promise that she wasn't going to drive. Kristen told investigators that the trio waited a few minutes to see if Julia was going to actually wait or if she was going to try to drive off. But she didn't, according to Kristen, and so they left Julia in front of Brian's house. She said that when they left, it was approximately 3.40 in the morning, and Julia was still there sitting in her car. Now, she said that 10 minutes later, at about 3.50 in the morning, Toby calls her and asks her where Julia was. Now, she said that she had been calling Julia's phone and that she was not answering. Now, Kristen said that she told Toby where Julia was, which was, according to Kristen, in front of Brian's house. Now, during that interview, investigators tell Kristen that they believe that Julia was hit by her own car. They just don't know how or why she was out of the vehicle. And when police asked Kristen what she thought, she said that she thought that Julia had hit the guardrail, got scared that she was going to get a DUI, and then decided to walk away. But That still didn't explain why Julia was naked and her clothing was hanging from the guardrail as if someone had placed it there if she had just walked away and then ended up getting hit by a car because it was dark. On November 28th, 2011, Julia's car was sent to the state crime lab for further examination. When Julia's car was found, it had a significant amount of her blood on the trunk of the car. There was also shattered glass on the passenger side of the car. Now, investigators hope that sending the car to the state's crime lab would give them more information about who, if anybody, was in the car with Julia. Now, while they waited for forensics to come back, investigators spoke to several witnesses, including Brian, whose home the party had been at. But based on the transcripts, most of the people that they spoke to had only heard things and did not have any firsthand knowledge about what happened that night. Now, over the next several months, investigators continued to work Julia's case. The people they spoke to all pretty much told the same story, though, about that night. That for Julia's family, they were convinced that her friends knew something and that they were hiding something. In a small area like where Julia lived, an incident like this was all that people were talking about. 
Now, Julia's family had her funeral, and they banned many of the people that were involved that night from attending. By that time, so many things had been said that her family had no idea who they could trust or if they could trust anybody. In February 2012, a woman came forward with information that she was on the interstate the night that Jalea was killed and that she told investigators that she witnessed Jalea fighting with three people. She then saw Jalea get into her car and that the three people got into another car and started chasing after Jalea. She ended up filing a police report about what she had allegedly witnessed that night. Based on what the woman told investigators, they began to pursue leads and they interviewed several people. They also polygraphed multiple people. But when they polygraphed the woman who made the report, they found out that she was lying. In November 2012, the woman was arrested and charged with lying to police and making a false police report. She was ultimately convicted and she was sentenced to six months in jail. Julia's family had no idea why someone would make up a complete lie and jeopardize the investigation into Julia's death. But a year after her tragic death, Julia's family was still awaiting answers. Investigators said that they were still looking over evidence and they were awaiting the results of the autopsy before they could draw a conclusion about what really happened to Julia. Now, in March 2013, 16 months after Julia's death, the autopsy results finally came back and investigators were ready to announce the findings and conclusion of their investigation into Julia's death. The chief of the sheriff's office said that following a lengthy investigation, it was concluded by the office of the chief medical examiner of the state of West Virginia that Miss Davis died as a result of multiple catastrophic injuries sustained as an unrestrained driver of a car that lost control and struck a guardrail post on Interstate 77. The death circumstances as determined by investigative and postmortem findings indicate the manner of death was an accident. The report included statements provided by Kia Motors engineer, a crash scene investigator, and evidence from the medical examination. The report concluded that Jalea was the sole occupant in the car on the night of November 19, 2011, and that due to alcohol intoxication, ran her car into the guardrail at 70 miles per hour. They said that the impact of the crash caused Jalea to be ejected from the car and that she was flung through the passenger side window, which shattered after the crash. The impact then caused her to roll over the roof of her car hitting the trunk before being thrown onto the interstate where her body was then ran over by multiple tractor trailers whose headlights apparently did not show them that a body was laying on the ground. Now, it's not clear whether they ever found the driver of the first tractor trailer that ran her over. They said that Jalea was dead when she hit the ground and therefore was already gone when she was hit by the trucks. And as far as her clothes that appeared to be hung on the guardrail, well, the investigation concluded that when Jalea was ejected from the car, that her shoes came off and that somehow she was dragged across the guardrail and that the guardrail ripped her clothing from her body. Now, Jalea's family wasn't buying it. First, how could clothing that was ripped from your body end up hanging from a guardrail in the exact order that they were on your body? The jacket was mostly intact aside from the hood of the jacket, and it was covered in blood. Now, it really defied logic that her clothing was neatly ripped off from her body. 
not just her jacket, not just her shirt, but her bra also. Like Kim said on Still a Mystery, if your clothing was ripped from your body, you would think that it would have landed in the opposite pattern. The jacket would have come off first, then the shirt, then the bra. I mean, according to the report, Jalea's body did not stop moving until she landed on the highway. So at what point would her clothing have ended up hung on the guardrail? The sleeves of her jacket were also right side in. So how could both of her arms have come out of her jacket without turning the sleeves inside out? The investigation report also stated that when Jalea was thrown from the vehicle, she went out the passenger side window and flipped over the roof before hitting the before hitting the trunk. They said that at one point her body was sort of spinning on top of the car before landing on the highway. But why did her body not go over the guardrail? And how did she end up out of the passenger side window and then on top of the car? The other problem was that there was no blood splatter on the roof of the car. For Julia's family, none of this made any sense. They also could not understand how if all of that happened, how did her car then continue to travel almost a quarter mile from the point of impact uphill? The car was still running, the keys were in the ignition, and the doors were locked. So how could Julia's car have just continued to travel uphill once she had been injected and then stopped against the guardrail as if it had been parked there? There were also tire marks on the road that indicated that the car had accelerated after Jalea was ejected. So how does that happen? The car also did not appear to be a car that had been involved in a 70-mile-per-hour accident. The guardrail was lower than the car window, so how did a crash into a guardrail cause her window to shatter and only her front passenger window, not the rear passenger window? Now, Jalea's grandfather had spent the previous year before the investigation findings came out, doing his own investigation, and found that there was no damage to the guardrail anywhere where the accident was said to have taken place. Julia's family believed that a car hitting a guardrail at 70 miles an hour would have caused some sort of damage to the guardrail, but he could not find any point of impact. Despite the many unanswered questions, the investigation was ruled an accident and the case was closed. The sheriff's office said that this was, quote, just another tragic example that drinking and driving is something that is very dangerous and unfortunately leads to a lot of people losing their lives. But despite the case being closed and the investigation concluding that this was a tragic accident, Jalea's family does not believe that her death was an accident. They believe that Jalea was murdered. They said that her friends were not thoroughly investigated and that their phones were never checked. Besides the initial statements made to police in the weeks following her death, her family said that they never actually investigated her friends. The investigators say, of course, that this is not true and that her friends were interviewed and that they actually had an alibi. Now, Kristen told the investigators that they had gone to McDonald's after they had left Brian's house. And a surveillance camera catches images of the vehicle Freddie was driving, as well as images of him at the drive-thru window. Now, the time step on the surveillance camera puts them about six miles from the crash scene around the time that Jalea placed the second phone call to her sister, changing the location of the meetup. But for Jalea's family, 
that's not clear evidence because the only person that can be identified in the footage is the driver, Freddie. The two women in the car cannot be identified. Now, Kristen and Katie say that they were the ones in the car, but Jalea's family believes that they are all covering up for each other. The other problem was that Kristen told police in her interview three days after the accident that she heard Jalea on the phone with her sister and that when she got out of Freddie's car at Brian's house that she heard Jalea tell Toby that, you know, she would tell her what happened when she got there. But that call that that conversation took place in was at ta- on Toby's phone at 3.33 a.m. And that was a minute after the timestamp shows Freddie's car at McDonald's. So Julia's family doesn't understand how she could have been at McDonald's with without Julia at the same time she is hearing Julia talking to Toby. It also contradicts Kristen's previous statement in her initial interview that they had left Brian's house around 3.40 that morning. Now, in the wake of Julia's death and the ultimate conclusion, Kim, Julia's mom, started a Facebook page called Justice for Julia. Kim has shared hundreds of images on that page about the investigation, including crime scene photos and information contained in the report, like interviews. But no matter what the investigators say, Kim and the rest of Julia's family do not believe her death was accidental, and they are determined to have her case reopened. It's been 10 years since Julia Davis died after a night that started out as a fun time with friends. I told you that the details of Julia's death are shocking. And the explanation of her death doesn't bring any closure to her family. The answers they were given do not add up with what they have seen and what they have been told. No one will ever convince them that Jalea's clothing was ripped from her body but found neatly hanging on the guardrail. They do not believe that her car hit a guardrail and ejected her out of the passenger side window after the airbag deployed. They do not believe that the damage to Julia's car was consistent with a 70-mile-per-hour crash, and they do not believe that she flipped over her car and landed on the highway to be ran over by multiple trucks. Julia's family wants her case reopened. They want the Justice Department or the FBI to take another look at this case. Of the cases that I've covered, Julia's case is one that bothers me the most. And I understand 100% why Jalea's family is having a hard time believing the results of the investigation. But if Jalea's case is never reopened, the questions and doubts her family has will never go away. After 10 years, I don't know if Jalea's case will be reopened. But for Kim and Toby's sake, I hope that it is. And if it is, hopefully they can get answers to the questions that have been haunting them. Jalea Davis was a beautiful young woman who had her whole life ahead of her. She deserved to live that life fully, and she did not deserve to die the way that she did. May Jalea Davis rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We will be back next week with a brand new story. Join us on Patreon for exclusive mini-sodes and ad-free episodes. As always, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Black Girl Gone Podcast. Listening on Apple Podcasts? Show your support for the show by leaving a review and a five-star rating. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.